Father, once again, we thank you for your great love for us and for the gospel message. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did to bring it to us. We pray now that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear what it is that you have to say to us. May we listen, may we respond rightly, and may you do your transforming work in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We are starting today what I believe will be a 10-week sermon series to the book of Philippians. Uh, We're going to break the book of Philippians into about nine sections, and then at the end I'm going to give a concluding sermon to it. I I like to do this. This is kind of my pattern for those of you that have been around for a while. In the summer, I like to pick a book of the Bible in the New Testament and walk through it. So we're doing Philippians this summer, and, and one of the reasons I do it this way is I love this idea of every one of us getting to know a particular chunk of Scripture really well. So this summer, we're looking at Philippians, and what I want you to do is not just come on Sundays and listen to the sermon. I, I do want you to stay awake for the sermon, though, if you can. Um, but I, what I want you to do is to be reading and rereading the book of Philippians by yourself. You will get so much more out of this if you are taking this book home with you and reading it and asking the Holy Spirit to show you exactly what he wants you to see. So over the next ten weeks, I want to urge you to read and reread the book of Philippians. It's it's only four chapters long. It's not too much to say you should read it every week. Uh, That's probably what I'll be doing as I prepare and study. Uh, It's certainly what I'll be doing as I prepare. But even devotionally, I, I plan to pick up the book of Philippians and just read it through once a week. What's the book of Philippians about? Well, the easy answer is Jesus. Jesus Christ is mentioned 39 times. It's only four chapters long, this book, and Jesus is mentioned 39 times. And of those, 37 of them, he is called either Christ or Jesus Christ. And the term Christ represents that he is the promised Messiah, the one who brings salvation. So this book is about Jesus And there's another key word in chapter 1 that I want to point out today. It's the word gospel. The word gospel appears six times in chapter 1. And the gospel is simply put, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's the good news that we sinners can receive complete forgiveness and eternal life with God. So the book of Philippians is about Jesus. Chapter 1 also emphasizes the gospel. So my big idea for today... Our lives are to be completely transformed by Christ and the gospel. Our lives are to be completely transformed by Christ and the gospel. See, the message of Jesus is good news. It is news that is meant to be embraced with every fiber of our being. And here's the cool part. When we embrace the gospel message, we are dramatically changed. I have an illustration today that uh, I'm going to kind of use to carry throughout my sermon. And again, my illustration is about this building. I I know I talk a lot about this building, but it's because there's a lot of work that went into it, and I'm very pleased with how it came out. But here's, here's how it happened. We as a congregation had an idea to buy this building and renovate it. Now, one of my thoughts when I first saw this building, it, it kind of looked dingy, but I thought, oh, we could just you know, sweep the floors and set up some chairs and we could meet here. But then we thought, no, you know, we, we don't really want to meet in a dingy place. We want to do it well. But for a long time, that was just an idea in our minds. But then something happened when we got really serious about this project. We, we did two things that really helped this project go forward. One is we hired an architect to design what this place could look like. 
And then two, we hired a general contractor to be in charge of the work that would be done here. And through the work of those two men, and, and obviously many people working with them, and, and many of you as well working on this project, but through the work of those two, this project happened. Now, it, it was interesting for me because there were times in this project where it was very clear that there was work being done. The, I remember the demolition week especially. That was really cool because this, this space, it was kind of open right here, but back there in, in the back part of the main level, it was really oddly shaped rooms and we just wanted it gone back there. So the first thing that the workers did when they came is they just destroyed stuff and took it all out. And, and it was amazing to see that work. Like, whoa, this place really looks different. But then there were parts of this project where I would look at it on Monday and come back on Friday and say, D did anything happen this week? And, and I talked to the general contractor and, you know, it doesn't look like there was anything. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. There were things happening behind the scenes, things that you didn't know about. Um, and then there was another week where the people who came in and, and put up the walls, and, and they worked four 10-hour days, and from Monday through Thursday, they put up all the walls. Like, whoa, this place looks really different again. And then again, there'd be these times where it's like, oh, is anybody doing anything? And, uh, but throughout that process, our, our architect and our general contractor had a plan to change this place. And, and for those of you that saw it before, you know that this place looks very different now than it did before. Can you we have pictures, I think it's on our Facebook page, of us sitting around in a circle here on broken tiled floors and orange chairs, orange padded chairs, sitting and praying. Doesn't it look better than that now? Well, spiritually speaking, there are two forces at work in us to completely change us. The Bible says that we were dead in sin, but we can have new life in Christ. And those two forces that I'm talking about today are Christ and the gospel. That's what Philippians is about. That's what my sermon is about. So let's start off our series today. I want to read for you our first section, Philippians 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Okay, so there are three things that I want to do with this passage today. And the first one is that I want to give you some of the background of the book of Philippians. Philippians, it says, was written by Paul and Timothy, although for the most part, most theologians assume that it was written mostly by Paul, and he just included Timothy. You can even see already in our first passage, Paul switches from, the second, or from a plural to singular, I, me. So it was, it was written by Paul. But Paul and Timothy, they call themselves servants of Christ Jesus. To be a servant is to do the work of someone else. Now this word servant is the same exact word 
servant used for Jesus Christ in chapter 2, verse 7, to say that Jesus was a servant of the Father. So here we see that Paul and Timothy were servants of Christ Jesus. Well, what is it then that they were doing? Like I said, to be a servant is to do the work of another. What work was it that Paul and Timothy were doing for Jesus? Well, they were sharing the gospel message. They brought the gospel to a bunch of people, including the Philippians. And you can read about that, by the way, in Acts chapter 16. So as you're reading Philippians this summer, you may also want to read and reread Acts 16 because it tells the background story of how the gospel message came to the people at Philippi. And then not only did Paul bring the gospel to these people, but he continued to pray for them, as we see in our passage today, and he also wrote this letter to them. So he cared for them long after he left that city. He, he didn't forget about them. Paul deeply cared for the people he ministered to. Look at some of the language he used. In verse 3, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. And he talks in verse 4 about how he was praying with joy. In verse 7, he says, I have you in my heart. And then in verse 8, I long for you. And that's just a great pattern for us. For us who minister to other people, we should model that heart of Paul. And it's really the heart of Christ here. That we care deeply for the people that we serve, that we minister to. So Paul cared so much for these people that he spent his life bringing the gospel message to them and continuing to pray for them. That's who Paul was. What about the Philippians? Well, Philippi was an important Roman colony in Macedonia, which is in present-day Greece. And in Paul's visit to Philippi, a number of people came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord, including uh, a lady named Lydia, that's, uh, who our Lydia is named after, and, and other people as well. It's really a couple of really cool stories in there in Acts 16, so again, I urge you to read them. There are people who came to know Jesus Christ and his gospel message. And Paul calls them then saints. Right here in verse 1, he calls them saints. The word saints means holy ones. And it is a stark contrast between somebody who is a holy one and somebody who is a sinner. Even though we are sinners, those of us who have come to know Jesus Christ, we still sin. It is still perfectly right for us to call ourselves saints, holy ones. Not because of our conduct, not because of our actions, not because of our own righteousness, but because of the powerful work of God in us, that God views us as his people, his holy ones. And then in verse 5, Paul talks of their fellowship in the gospel, their partnership in the gospel. And that's an important phrase. Like I said, gospel is a key word in Philippians. It's the good news of Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. It's a message that demands a response. That was true for the Philippians back 2,000 years ago, and it's true for us. The gospel demands a response. What kind of response? Well, the gospel message is that Jesus died for us. He gave his life for us. And the response that the gospel demands is that we give our lives to him. We are to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And I say it often here this way, and I want to say it again for two reasons. One, so that we make sure that you all know it, and two, so that you can communicate it to other people this way. But we need to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. For him to be Savior means that he is the one who saves us from our sins, that we are sinners, and our sin earned us a penalty that we could never repay. It's eternal separation from God. That was our penalty. 
but Jesus Christ in his grace and mercy died for us so that any of us who receive Jesus Christ as Savior receive complete forgiveness of sins. This is something we cannot do for ourselves. It is something that only God can give to us. So we receive Jesus to receive that forgiveness. That's what it means to know Jesus as Savior. To know Jesus as Lord, then, means that we give our lives to him. The word Lord, in a lot of ways, means the same thing as king. And it means that he is in control, and we are not. He's God, we are not. We all came into this world assuming that we could make our own decisions about our own lives, just doing whatever we want to do because we want to do it. But to receive Jesus as Lord is to submit our lives then to him and to say, God, what do you want me to do? I live my life for you, and I do whatever I do now because of you and for you. So it's either that life where you give your heart, your life, your soul, your everything to Jesus, or you reject him and go your own way. The gospel demands that we make that response. The gospel demands that we say it's either Jesus or yourself that pays for your sins. And by the way, you can never pay for it. It's eternal separation from God if you reject. That's not a pleasant thing. So that's the gospel message. And the Philippians received this message. As such, Paul said that they were recipients of grace and peace from God. And he said that he had fellowship with them in the gospel. You see, the gospel compels us to a new way of life. And I hope you know this. It isn't just that the gospel is our ticket eventually out of hell. It is that. Praise the Lord, it is that. But it's so much more. The gospel is also God's work in us continually to change us into the people that he wants us to be. The gospel is meant to change our lives right now. And apparently that's what happened in Philippi because Paul called them partners in the gospel. You see, what I take that to mean is that not only did the Philippians receive the gospel message of Jesus Christ, but that it changed their lives so deeply that they became people who also shared with Paul in spreading this gospel message to other people. So much so that Paul said, you're partners with me in this. For me, as a minister of the gospel, it is so encouraging when I see others of you, and I'm thinking of specific people, you out there, who join with me in sharing the gospel. And not that it's about me and my ministry, but that it's about the gospel and that God's fame would be known throughout this world. And I take great joy when I see people joining with me in sharing the gospel. And I think that's what Paul felt towards the Philippians here. So Paul is writing to people who are very dear to him, people who have already begun to be dramatically changed by the gospel. That's the first thing I want to show you. The second thing I want to show you is a wonderful truth about God's work in us who believe. I want to reread verses 4 through 6, and I want you to pay special attention to verse 6. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Here's verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Because the Philippians not only received the gospel message, but also became partners with him, Paul wanted to give them this reassurance, this knowing of what God is doing in their lives. Going back to my illustration about this building, there were times in this project where, like I said, I would show up and, and watch over the course of a week and, and feel like 
Oh, did anything get done? I can't see, you know, I love seeing the demolition, but now this week I didn't see anything. <laughs> and there were some times in that process where I just wanted to talk to our general contractor and say, is anything happening? Are, are, are we still going here? Are we still moving towards that end date? And usually he would say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, the electricians were here and they were pulling some cords and, and you wouldn't be able to see that behind the walls or... Yeah, yeah, the flooring people, they're coming tomorrow and they're going to just you know, do the whole thing in two days. It, but for me, it was reassuring to know that the, the contractor had a plan and that things were actually going to get done and that, yes, we still had a target date in mind and it, and it still was going to happen. I think Paul wanted to reassure the Philippians of God's work in their lives. I, I think we all understand this, that sometimes in our lives we maybe don't feel like we see the power of God at work in us. But I love this verse because Paul had this confidence that yes, God is working in you and he will bring to completion what he started. God will finish what he starts. That is a guarantee. When God promises something, we can take it to the bank. One of my friends used to say, we can stand on God's promises. There is no surer footing for us in our lives than the promises of God. So when God w- reveals to us through his word that he's going to finish what he started, we look at that and we say, yes, God. And, and that should bring about within us a confidence, like Paul had the confidence there. So I have this in your bulletin if you want to fill in the blanks here. Because of the gospel of Christ, we can have confidence that God will finish his work in us. Because of the gospel of Christ, we can have confidence that God will finish his work in us. Now, it's a conditional statement. This is only true for people who have received the gospel message. That's what I was telling you about back in my first point. That if you're going to reject Jesus, you can't claim this promise. You can't claim that God's good work will happen in you if you're totally rejecting God in his work. But, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and given your life to him, you can have this confidence that God is at work in you. You see, Paul's confidence wasn't that the Philippians were such noble people that they would be able to fix themselves. Paul's confidence was in Christ and the gospel. And because he had seen the Philippians give their lives to the gospel, Paul had this confidence that God would finish his work in them. And similarly, our confidence isn't in our own ability to follow God's ways. Some of you, you know, might think you've, you've kind of got this Christianity thing down. Even so, your confidence is not in what you can do. It's what God can do in you. Our confidence is in Jesus. He is the way. And we follow him. Now, specifically what Paul was saying here too in verse 6 is that he had this confidence that God would continue this work until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul had a specific end goal in mind, the day of Christ. There is a day coming for all of us that matters more than we realize. It's the day of Christ. It's a promise from God. Every single one of us will have to stand before God. Paul mentioned it here in verse 6. He'll mention it again later in verse 10. Paul's point is is that God has work that he wants to do in us right now in preparation for that day, the day of Christ Jesus that is coming. Because again, our salvation isn't just that eventually we get to go to heaven when we die. It is that. But also, it's that every day now, from now until then, God wants to do work in us 
to bring us to completion. God wants to make us more and more like Christ in preparation for that day. So God continues to work in us. And that's what Paul wanted to remind the Philippians and us about. The same God who brought the gospel message to us is the God who wants to continue to work in us, to bring about what he wants for us. And and we can take great comfort in this. That, That word confidence in there, I think is meant to give us comfort. I think that so often we go through our lives and, and we, we see ourselves mess up. We see ourselves fail. We, we know that things go more difficult in our lives than we want them to. And, and we can feel like our lives aren't going in the direction we want them to. But what God wants us to know is that we can have confidence in Him that He will bring about to completion what He has started. God is at work in us who believe and he will finish his work. Praise the Lord. And that means then that there is a supernatural power at work in us. We're so used to looking at our lives from just a natural point of view, from looking at me and what I can do, or looking at me and what I can't do. But what I want you to know is there is a supernatural power at work in you who believe to bring you to completion. We can take great comfort in that. Now, on the flip side, what that means is that we're not done yet. What that means is that not a single one of us in here should think that we have arrived, that we have already come to that point of completion. Because as long as we're in this body, in this life, it means that God has more work that he wants to do in us. Until we get to see God face to face, until we're glorified in him, God has more work to do in us. So we need to keep growing in Christ. But praise the Lord, it's his work and he does it. So what do we do then? If that's what God does, what's our part? Well, we are to keep our eyes on Christ and the gospel. And as we do that, we trust that God will do his work. So we live our lives focusing on what God has for us to do today, but we also have another day in mind, the day of Christ Jesus. I love this quote from Martin Luther. He says, there are two days in my calendar, this day and that day. We need to focus on what God has for us to do today. We have to be faithful in the things that he has for us. It says in the Bible that he has good works prepared for us to walk around in. But we do those things in light of another day, in light of the day of Christ, which is coming and which God is preparing us for. And if we're living like that, we have no need to fear the day of Christ. God will continue his work in us and bring us to be with him forever. We have confidence in God. In 1 Thessalonians 5.24, it says, The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Do you trust that God will work in you? I feel like this is one of the key questions we need to ask ourselves today. Do you trust that God, who has all the power in the universe, do you trust that he can do his work in you? That he can bring you to completion? Again, we might think, well, you know... I'm not that gifted, I'm not that qualified, I'm not that spiritual. So what? God can do his work in you. He brings to completion what he started. We don't labor simply in our own effort. We trust that God can do what he wants to do. And following along with my building illustration, this building turned out way better than it would have if it was just me working on it. 
And, and if any of you want proof of that, you can come and visit my basement, which I tried to do some work on, and this just looks way better. Um, and I think that there's something important in that. If it's, if it's just me in my own power trying to live my life, it's not going to amount to much. But if it's God working in us, He brings us to completion. Praise the Lord for that. We can have confidence that He will finish His work. And then the third and final thing that I want to show you today is a wonderful model prayer from verses 9 through 11. A few weeks ago, we looked at a model prayer from Colossians 4, and I reminded you there that whenever you see a prayer in the Bible, you should take special note of it and and maybe even try to incorporate that prayer into your prayer life. Well, here's another one, verses 9 to 11. And I want to quote these verses from memory for you to show you that I have taken these things into heart, in my heart, and I'm praying them for you all. So verses 9 through 11, Paul says, and this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and glory of God. Did I get it right? All right, okay. Do you know know why I got it right? Because literally I've prayed that many, many times for you all over the last few weeks. I've been praying it for myself. I've been praying it for other people because I think it's a wonderful prayer. It, it really sums up what I want for all of us. I was trying to sum up this prayer and here's what I came, this is what I put in your bulletin. Because of the gospel of Christ, we can live transformed lives for the glory of God. Because of the gospel of Christ, we can live transformed lives for the glory of God. How do we do that? Well, Paul shows us what to pray for. And the first thing that he prayed for is that our love would abound more and more. And I think when Paul talks about love here, I think it's right for us to assume that he's talking about both our love for God and our love for each other and for those around us. Jesus said the the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. The two great commandments are to love and to love. So what does Paul do? He prays that our love would grow more and more. Let's be praying that. If we have love, we have what we need. So Paul prayed for it to abound. And then it's interesting to me that he prayed that our love would abound more and more in knowledge. You see, to Paul, love is rooted in the truth of who Jesus is. Love is not just some touchy-feely emotional thing. Love is rooted in the theological truth of who God is. So both love and knowledge are important. And and I I was trying to think of a caricature of of a person on one hand who just focuses on love and a person on the other hand who just focuses on knowledge. So let's say that the person who focuses on love, it's just all this touchy-feely, you know, love, 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 all we need is love sort of a thing. And don't bother me with your truth or your ideas or your theology. And then the other person, the person who just focuses on knowledge is that person, maybe you think of a professor who just locks his door and just studies books And if anybody ever knocks on the door, he gets really mad at them for bothering or disturbing him. The truth is we need both love and knowledge. We need love. We need to act in the right way, to to do the right thing, both to people and to God, when people are watching and when people aren't. But also knowledge, our, our love rooted in the knowledge and the truth of who God is and what his word reveals to us. So we are to grow in our love in knowledge, And Paul goes on to say that in this love and knowledge we are to have discernment. Discernment is very important in our lives. And 
Um, wanted to make sure my kids hear that one especially, right? Discernment is very important in our lives, right? We've been talking about that one at home. <laughs> Discernment means being able to determine or approve what is valuable or worthy. An illustration of this, uh, Christine and I have watched uh, a show a few times lately called American Pickers. Anybody know that show? It's a show about uh, two antiquers who go around and they, they look to buy antique things to sell them in their store. And oftentimes what they'll do is they'll just hear about somebody who has a bunch of stuff stored in their barn and, and they'll go and they'll knock on this person's door and they say, hey, I, I hear you have a bunch of stuff stored away in the barn. Can we take a look? And they'll say, oh, well, you know, we've been storing stuff there for the last 30 years. You're welcome to take a look if you want. So the way it goes is they, these two guys, they walk around and they've got their flashlight and, and they're stepping over piles of junk everywhere and, and finally something catches their eye over in the corner and they look at that thing and, and they pick it up. And for example, one thing that they look for is old oil cans. For some reason, those have value. But they'll pick up one of these old oil cans and say, hey, can I buy this from you for 25 bucks? And, they, you know, they they haggle over the price and let's say eventually they buy it for $35 and then what will happen in the show then is that they'll say okay we bought this thing for $35 and then we brought it to our store and we sold it for $70 so we doubled our money so what, what these guys are trying to do is to wade through all the junk and you know they don't want that stuff they just want what's valuable and for us spiritually speaking there are lots of things that we can get involved in in our lives and a lot of it is junk. What we need to do is to be able to discern what is valuable and worthy. And, and discernment, by the way, isn't just knowing the difference between what's right and what's wrong. It also means doing what's right and rejecting what's wrong. It could be small things like this TV show that I was planning to watch tonight. Should I, should I not watch that? Is that a show that would dishonor God? Or it can be big things like, I've noticed that I respond angrily to people a lot lately. Is there any way that I could pray to God and, and ask for his peace to flow through me in difficult situations? The idea is that we would be able to discern, to know what's best, so that we would be pure and blameless. Why? Again, because the day of Christ Jesus is coming. We are to live now in light of the day of Christ. Two days on our calendar, this day and that day. And on our calendar, I, I picture this calendar with a big red circle around it. That We don't know when that day is, but we've got it circled on our calendar anyways. And I, I thought about an, another illustration for this. It's like a marathon. If you were signed up for a marathon, let's say uh, you're running a marathon on Labor Day. For some reason, I, I, that sounded like a good day to run a marathon. Labor Day, right? I don't know. Um, I would suggest that you start training now if you haven't. Because I know a little bit about cross-country running, about long-distance running, uh, but although the longest I ever ran was 10 miles, and I'd advise you not to do that. <laughs> but, uh, but what I do know is that if you want to, for some reason, do that, you better get training now. I remember when my first cross-country practice, they had us run two miles, and I was, after one mile, I was just huffing and puffing and thought, can I do this? But then the next day, it was three miles. And eventually they got, us, they got our stamina up so that we could do long-distance running. There is a day of Christ coming for us. And we need to be preparing ourselves right now, today, for that. It goes on to say that we are to be filled with the fruit of righteousness 
that comes through Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that I picture that is that on that day, I want to be, be able to offer my Lord a pleasant offering, this you know, spiritually speaking, this basket is just full of fruit and say, here it is. And, and the fruit represents the things that we've done in our lives that have honored God. We need to live every day in light of that day and being filled with that fruit of righteousness. And when I hear that word fruit in the Bible, oftentimes I, I think of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things are to mark our lives right now. Yes, there is forgiveness for when we fall. And yes, God is still at work in us and we should expect perfection right now. But what we should expect is fruit right now. Why? Because we're so capable? No. Who does it say that fruit comes through? Through Jesus Christ. It's God who is at work in us. God will produce these things in us. And for those of us who have received the gospel of Christ, we should see evidence of this fruit. If I came up to you today and I said, oh, I've got this nasty cold, you might say, oh, really? Well, what, what kind of cold is it? Do you have like a stuffy nose or a cough? And, and imagine I say to you, no, no, I don't have that. And you say, oh, uh, what about sore throat or body aches or fever? And I say, no, no, I don't have any of those things. And, and you start to scratch your head saying, well, uh, what do you have? And then I say to you, I don't know, nothing really. And then you say, well, why do you think you're sick? Did you go into the doctor? Did they tell you that you... And I say, nope, none of that. What would you be very right to conclude? That I'm not sick. It's the same way with us in the gospel message. If you claim that you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you should be able to point to fruit in your life that bears evidence to it. It's not enough just to say, oh yeah, I I received him as my Savior and Lord 20 years ago, so I'm cool. We should be able to point to fruit in our lives. Again, not because of you, but because of God at work in you. And if you're seeing a lack of fruit, I would just suggest you go to God and confess your sins and repent and ask God to fill you with the fruit because God wants to work in us to bring us to completion. So we can do that. We can go to him. And I love how verse 11 ends. To the glory and praise of God. The theologian Gordon Fee called the glory and praise of God the ultimate goal of all things. That is the purpose of our lives. A few weeks ago I preached a sermon on the purpose of our lives and I said it has everything to do with the gospel and it has everything to do with giving God glory. And I just want to say the same thing again. Our purpose is is to receive the gospel and to let the gospel transform us and to proclaim that gospel message and we do all of that for the glory of God to give him praise. So we exist to give honor to God with our lives. Now don't get me wrong, that works out really well for us because we get to live in the blessings of God as we do that. But on the day of Christ, the big questions will be about how we have glorified and praised God with our lives. And it has everything to do with how we live now in light of the gospel, in this day, in preparation for that day. So what should we do now? We should pray. Do your prayers sound like this prayer in verses 9 through 11? They should. I'll say what I said a few weeks ago. It's not wrong to pray for your food and for safe travels and for Aunt Margot who's having hip surgery. You can pray for those things, but there are things like this that I think are more important 
that we should be praying for as well, that our love would abound more and more. How is your love? Is it growing? Would people say that about you, that your love is growing? How's your knowledge and your discernment and your ability to choose what's right and to reject what's wrong? Are you growing in those things? Are you praying for those things? Are you giving glory and praise to God? We should be praying these things for ourselves. We should be praying these things for other people too. And we should be praying with joy and thanksgiving like Paul was. So let's seek to give God glory and praise with our lives because our lives are to be completely transformed by Christ and the gospel. Again, we think about this building and for those of you that saw it before, it looks different. Especially if you go back into that part of the building, it just looks way different. And I would say it looks way better than it did before. That's what God wants to do in us on a much grander scale to take us from where we are right now and to transform us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. God is really good at his work and I, me personally, what I'm taking from this message is that God wants to transform me. God wants my love to grow more and more. He wants me to have more confidence in his ability to do his work in me. Through the gospel of Christ, we are transformed from sinners to saints. <coughs> Through the gospel of Christ, we are set free. We have the promise of eternal life and a relationship with him forever. we can have confidence that God is working his good plans in us right now and that he will finish his work. And through the gospel of Christ, we can grow in love and knowledge and discernment and fruit and we can give glory and praise to God. So I am very thankful for Christ and his gospel. And if you are too, let's set our eyes on him and let God do his wonderful work in us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this reminder today of what we have in Christ in the gospel message. Freedom, forgiveness from sin, and a new life to live in which you are working in us, in which you can cause our love to abound and our knowledge to increase, in which we can honor you with our discernment and with our fruit. And God, I pray that we would live lives that give honor and glory and praise to you. You are worthy to receive praise and I pray that we would all praise you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.